You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 23 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Swamp 78. Swamp 78 is an alternative rock band from Charlotte, North Carolina. Their influences range from Paramore and Shinedown to He Is Legend and Flyleaf. For more information on the band, check out facebook.com forward slash Swamp 78 and on Twitter and Instagram at WhoIsSwamp78. You can also check them out on all of the major music streaming platforms. Now here it is, their new single, self Portrait.
Rise Against, and you are listening to That One Time on Tour. Run for the road, cause it's going on and on. We'll be driving through the darkest night until the break of dawn. We'll be heading for the cities, another show for us to play. To get back in the bed Hello and welcome to episode number 23 of that one time on tour. As always, I'm your host, Chris Swinney, back with another stellar conversation with someone in or around the music industry. Uh, This week on the show, I get to sit down with Mr. Zach Blair from Rise Against. Zach also played in Hagfish. Only Crime, and Guar. He was in Guar. That's pretty awesome. So before I get to my conversation with Zach, I do need to take care of some business. You know, we do have some sponsors that help keep the lights on. You heard at the beginning of the show, Swamp 78, great band. Check them out. Uh, We also have a new sponsor, Sticker Wolf, uh, stickerwolf.com. Go check them out there. Uh, They're out of Orlando, Florida. They did some amazing stickers for the podcast. If you guys want one, hit me up and I will hook you up. So uh, check out stickerwolf.com. You can also check them out on Instagram and Twitter at StickerWolf. Uh, make sure to go to MuncieMusic.com. I work at Muncie Music Center. It's an amazing store here in Muncie, Indiana. I teach guitar there and a lot of other things. They have a recording studio. They have everything. So if you're local, go to 600 South Mulberry Street here in Muncie. If not, go to MuncieMusic.com and give them some love. Uh, I have to tell you about rockabilia.com if you haven't you know, heard me say this enough. They have been a sponsor for a while. Rockabilia.com is your one-stop shop for everything band merch related. They have over 500,000 unique items officially licensed by the bands. So go to rockabilia.com and at checkout put in the promo code PCTOTOT and you're going to save 15% on your entire order. Okay, no more business, but I do want you guys to make sure that you are following us on all of the social media platforms. It's at TOTOT Podcast. If you want to be a sponsor, hit me up, TOTOT Podcast at gmail.com. Leave us some love or some hate on the TOTOT hotline. That is 1765 372 8818. Make sure in the iTunes store or wherever you listen to podcasts, that you review and rate us and also subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Uh, We're on Stitcher now, so uh, if you guys are listening to us on Stitcher, what's up? Uh, And that's it. (laughs) So uh, I do want to give a shout out to my wife. Uh, She is amazing. Felicia, thank you so much for being amazing. And for some reason, she loves me and uh, I'm going to take it. So uh, she helps me out quite a bit with the podcast when I'm doing my interviews and whatnot. She's got the kids. She's got little little mini Swinney and mini Miss Swinney, <laughs> uh, Indian Silas, my daughter and my son. So give it up to my wife. Thank you so much for uh, helping me out with this. I love you. <laughs> I don't give her shout outs enough. I need to do that. So, okay, that's enough mushy stuff. We're going to get right into my conversation with Mr. Zach Blair from the band Rise Against. Hey, so I'm on the the phone with uh, Mr. Zach Blair from Rise Against. How are you doing today, Zach? I am really good, man. Um, if my voice is cutting out, there's somebody calling on the other line, but I'm going to ignore it. Okay. Um, no, I'm really I'm really good, man. We are home. Uh, Rise Against 
has been home for three weeks. I leave tomorrow to resume our second leg of our tour. Uh, we have already started out the summer with, uh, we had anti-flag and AFI out with us, which wow. has been a really, yeah, it's been a lot of fun, man. They're a great bunch of guys. And, you know, we've tried to, we've, we've toured with anti-flag before, but the band's never toured with AFI before yeah. outside of some festival dates and things like that. And they've just been really close friends for a long time. So, um, yeah. And so tomorrow starts the second leg and it's, it's been going great. Are you, you're flying out, I take it. Where are you guys starting the, the second leg at? Tomorrow is Minneapolis. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of resume there. Um, it's funny because, you know, I live in Austin, Texas. Um, I'm, I'm from Texas, and I'm still here. And we are here within the first few days, so I get to come home for a few days, which is nice after we start. So, yeah, all in all, pretty easy. So uh, I know we had to reschedule this. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about what happened? You said there were some electrical problems at your house over Labor Day. Yeah, I – I um, it, it's, the, it's the most – banal boring thing in the world but uh some some uh, some of my lights were out on the deck of my house and it was an electrical problem that i actually kind of troubleshot myself and ended up being able to fix it but it took because i don't do things like that it ended up taking a lot longer than i would have expected so you and me were supposed to do this on what was it sunday sunday yeah and I was just like, dude, this is – and we have people coming over. So there was like – I had a, a deadline and I was like, I am not going to be able – I got to give myself the whole day. Well, it actually uh, it actually worked out because, I mean, being a holiday weekend, I had plans as well. So I was just like you. I was going to try to squeeze it in. So when you yeah. said we couldn't do it, I'm like, hey, no problem, man. Yeah, luckily I was able to figure it out, yeah. Well, that's great. Okay, so I want to jump right in. Uh, the first thing that I always ask my guests – is, you know, punk rock is kind of a unique genre. I know you're pretty deep in punk rock. What was your first experience, like musical, even if it wasn't like in punk rock, and what drove you into the genre? Uh, my first real experience with, with music, is that what you're saying? And then punk yeah, rock? music, and then like what led you to punk rock after that? Um, my father was a radio DJ. Um, like... When a DJ actually meant a disc jockey, like a guy that talked to you on the radio and played records. Um, that's what my dad I did for a living uh, my whole life. Um, he was blind, my father. Uh, he, he had partial sight in one eye. Um, so a lot back then, a lot of his friends had sort of physical ailments. You know, some of them were handicapped, uh, no use of their legs. Uh, I remember one man that was his good friend had a full face birthmark. Wow. Um, so, and my dad was blind and, uh, but they all had great voices, you know, so it was a kind of a thing back then uh, with that profession. And anyway, uh, so that's what my father did. And he had this really amazing taste in music. Amazing. To this day, it's, you know, I still like the music my dad listened to from back then is still the music I listened to, which was, for the most part, you know, Black Sabbath and The Who and Jimi Hendrix and, you know, I guess what you would call classic rock. Yeah. But for my dad, you know, Led Zeppelin and all of that stuff. And so he raised my brother and I to be, you know, real big music fans. And, and another thing about our family is, like, we – DJs – didn't make a lot of money back then. Definitely not enough to afford a family. And uh, he just kind of still wanted to do it. So we would end up hawking our TV and stuff a lot. <laughs> and 
keeping the stereo. So we always had stereo. We always had his records. And uh, so it just sort of fostered in this idea that, to me that music was the most important thing. That's great. At an early, yeah, at an early age. And my dad was obsessed. You know, he was obsessive about it. It wasn't something he left at work. And so, you know, he'd, he'd come home and he would just talk about it all the time. And he would watch, you know, the Woodstock show a concert and you know and really raise my brother and i around it and so i i be, you know i just loved my dad and i always wanted to impress my dad so uh he was also kind of a frustrated musician he wanted to be a musician and he never sort of had the impetus to you know go the full distance with it so he was like how most dads are that way about you know sports with yeah. their kids they push their kids into to doing sports and stuff my dad did it to me and my brother with music wow um kind of just bought us instruments and sort of sat them in front of us and was just like okay now what you know <laughs> and and then became sort of aggro about us practicing you know really getting into it um kind of living vicariously through us did you take like formal lessons for the guitar when you were young I did. I did at one point and I was hyperactive and I still am. So I tried it a few different times and, you know, I definitely picked up, it definitely advanced me more than if I hadn't had had done it on my own, you know? Um, but I would fall out with them, you know, usually I was into stuff. I mean, even my dad's tastes were sort of more progressive than even these old men, you know, I remember wanting to learn like Led Zeppelin songs and, you know, and stuff like that, because I was nine when I started playing. And they they were trying to show me Everly Brothers tunes and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. shit like that. Maybe the Beatles, you know, maybe whatever. And then that was my first guitar teacher. And then my second one, I had gotten into – my brother guy got into like our own music. So we went from my dad's, you know, more metal leanings like Sabbath and whatnot, ended up to my brother and I being Metallica. And then we went on that, like every kid – most kids do, you want to go harder and faster and louder and more aggressive. And so then I was coming in with like Slayer and Creator and Possessed, and and they were fully not into that. But also for my brother and I, to to answer the pun question, we sort of, you know, got into, say, Metallica, and then the shirts they were wearing. Dude, that's that's the entrance for me as well. Like, I got my first Misfits CD because of James and Cliff wearing the shirts. I mean... They don't... And you know, and and I hope this doesn't sound like name-dropping because I'm absolutely not. I'm not pretending or nor saying Name-drop away. I've met met Metallica. They're great guys. So so it's not... I'm not saying I know them. We've played a bunch of festivals with them and had the, the ability to meet not even much, but like occasionally and i did meet lars ulrich one time and i thanked him i was like man i got into life sentence and this, the misfits and sam you know so many bands because and he acted as if it was the first time he'd ever heard that it might have like, been i mean that's kind of like, an really? odd thing yeah yeah he goes really and i go yeah and i said i go is this the first time you're hearing this he goes yeah man that's amazing and i go well you guys were my gateway drug to so many other great bands and then from those bands you'd look at the bands they thanked on their records oh yeah so buy the misfits record and they thanked you know the necros or decroiton or whatever it was and then you just it's this thing and then from metallica you know you get into for me it was like thrash metal and punk so i got into like 
my brother and I were really just trying to get into anything aggressive yeah. fast, you know, something that pissed off, something that no one else was listening to because we lived in Sherman, Texas. It's an hour north of Dallas. And we were Dude, I grew, fucking... I grew up in a town in Indiana with 1,500 people, so I totally exactly. understand. Exactly. And, you know, now you see a kid with a shirt on like that, it's totally normal. Back then, if we saw a kid with any of the bands we listened to, it was like they had landed from Mars, you know? And it was like because... you were in a club. It's like you see those guys that drive Harleys. If they see another Harley, they kind of nod at him. <laughs> Dude, exactly. And so – you know, I remember getting Slayer, Reign of Blood the same day I got Black Flag, My War. Wow. So it was like anything that was aggressive and loud and not the status quo and that no one else listened to, we were into. We didn't have the luxury, I've said this a lot, but the luxury of being aligned to a coast. Yeah. You know, we were from the fucking Midwest South, Southern Midwest, you know. So. Did you do the mail order thing a lot? That's what I did a lot when I was young. For sure. Absolutely. You would just Uh, like a wing and a prayer. You hope it's going to be a good album. (laughs) Dude, dude, totally. I think I got No Means No Wrong from the Alternative Tentacles mail order because the cover looked cool, you know. And yeah, and sometimes you'd strike out like, oh, Jesus, I don't like this. (laughs) Um, But that was, I still love that record. So that's kind of how it all happened. Just like a gateway or like a, from my dad's taste, we sort of springboarded into our own thing that got just more gradually, more and more and more aggressive and loud and fucked up. And, and my parents were super supportive. You know, we weren't raised in some like typical Texan, you know, Christian right-wing household. My parents were both fucking weirdos. They came from the hippie generation. They were the outcasts of their family, you know, so we were really lucky with that because I had so many friends that were raised in just fucking uptight Southern Baptist, you know, right-winger families that didn't let them express themselves, would have disowned them if they had come out to them, if if that was the case, or if they wanted to grow their hair or anything. It just, you know, it was like, you fucking live the way we want you to live, and that's the only way to live, you know. We we lucked out with that. We were broke, but we were... We were <laughs> but at least you were free to, you know, express yourself and have art and do... I mean, that I think that's almost worth more sometimes, you know? Absolutely. I would... I wouldn't give... I wouldn't give up the way I was raised, you know, for to be the rich kid you know what i mean (laughs) to have it all you know because there were those kids in our school and oddly enough you know it's like those kids you envied and those kids that talk shit to you and they're usually the kids that stayed in your home fucking town yeah you know what i mean definitely i think growing up the way you know it sounds like you had a similar experience to me the way you and i did only forced us to get out of that shitty little town it was like fuck this i'm i'm looking for something else and and that was probably the most formidable thing about my life was the fact that I was I got out of that town. I wasn't happy, you know. I, I tell you, I've I've come pretty pretty much full circle though. I've I've been all over the place and lived all over the place. But uh, once I had kids, I actually came back to fairly close to my hometown just because I liked I liked the the hustler mentality and kind of like the way that I was raised and I kind of wanted my kids to feel that too. I didn't want them to be so entitled because we we lived at the beach before. <laughs> oh sure. So I mean, I'm, it's not like I'm taking the beach away from my kids. I just want them to be like, you know, hungry for it. And when you do have success in music or any other field, it's you don't take it for granted. You know what I mean? Well, sorry, I'm meeting something. It's <laughs> okay. Like- it was your choice to go back, though. Do you know what yeah, I mean? it was totally my you choice. Out, 
yeah, you got out and you made the choice to go back. And also, with kids, I would imagine your folks still live there. Yeah, my folks still live here, and it was a big deal to have family close. I wanted my kids to know my family, and I I love my family. They're, you know, the way that you speak fondly of your parents is the same way I feel. I mean, they raised me to to be a forward thinker, and they raised me with art and everything, so I I totally relate to what you're saying. Well, in the grand trajectory of it all, I managed to move four and a half hours away from my hometown. I live in Austin, Texas. I grew up in Sherman, which is four and a half hours away. So I didn't get far. You know what I mean? But Austin's kind of like this little oasis in Texas. I mean, I I love Austin. Yeah. But, you know, um, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Dude, enjoy your food. This is just a conversation, man. It's not a regular interview. (laughs) I did... 14 years in Dallas. Okay. So I went from I went from Sherman to Dallas and did 14 years there. And then moved here. And I've been here about 14 years, which is crazy. Um, so, oh, wait. That can't be. That can't be. That means I would have been. Yeah, that's not right. But anyway. <laughs> a long, a long time in both places. We'll just say that. Exactly. I still haven't moved that far away from my hometown. Yeah. My, you know, I guess. Still get to my mom and all that. But, you know, if I had had kids, which I did not, and I have not, I probably would have had felt the same need. I'm married. My mother-in-law lives around the corner from us, so there's that. But I definitely get the need to move back and be around family when that sort of situation happens. You know, of course, absolutely. I just feel like, I mean, I've been, I've been a lot of different places in Indiana to me there. You never have to look for parking. It's fairly safe. And anywhere that I want, anywhere that I want to go, I just hop on a plane or I I can drive anywhere within a day. You know, that's funny. You bring up parking. You're right, man. That's, that is the bane of, (laughs) The existence is like, I can't fucking park anywhere. Um, what was your tenure in uh, in the Ataris? I was only in the Ataris for a couple of years, uh, probably the mid 2000s to late 2000s. Um, okay. I was in there after the big record hit. And uh, I was also, I played in a band called Brazil that was on Fearless Records. And I, I also remember I, that band. I, I also played with a band called Underminded that was on Kung Fu. So I've, I've done a lot of touring. The Ataris <laughs> was kind of the biggest thing that I'd ever done, but. Sure. Sure. I've, I've known. Yeah. I mean, it feels like I've been playing around or with or somewhere around the Ataris, whether it was Hackfish or Only Crime or whatever it was I was doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, that's been a, that's been a name that that's had legs for sure. That band's been around. <laughs> They've been around for a long time. And that's the thing. Chris, uh, with a K I'm Chris with a C the singer, Chris, good buddy of mine, old bandmate. He grew up in the next, in the next town over from me. So he's got the same kind of story, man. We've talked about even on the podcast, how he got into punk and how he got into everything. So I think it's a pretty common thread. Yeah. I, I've met Chris. God, I don't even know when I met Chris. It was in the nineties at some point, but yeah. Um, it's those dudes, you know, it's the lifers. Yeah, <laughs> the know, lifers, like man. You can, well, yeah, and I don't even think, you know, for me, there wasn't another choice. Yeah. There wasn't, I guess, you know, I could call it a lifer now, but I think when I first started, I was just too dumb to think of anything else. And I don't mean that to sound shitty. It's just, I was just ignorant. I just left myself one thing because I figured that was like what people did. Yeah. To me, because I was, I never had a fucking dime to to my name growing up. 
that it didn't matter. I didn't care about, I would make it work. <laughs> you know, I lived in a garage with eight people. I slept on floors my whole, you know, I, I, I went without food. It didn't, I just wanted to be happy. And so my only option was just play guitar. That's all I wanted to do. I mean, that's kind and of. I knew people that I went to well, go ahead. No, that's the same thing with me. I mean, like I, I make my living in music and I have ever since I got out of high school, I, you know, I sure. was a professional touring musician, different bands, whatnot, but I also teach guitar. I owned a recording studio for a while. I was an entertainment director. Uh, I lived in Jamaica for Margaritaville. I booked all their acts and did all that stuff. I worked for the hangout oh, music wow. festival. Like I've never done anything that wasn't music related. I even have a music summer camp for kids here in, in Muncie, Indiana. Like, it's wow, all music, awesome. all music all the time. I just, once I had my kids, I didn't feel like the road was where I wanted to be. You know what I mean? Sure. Well, that's understandable. You know, my guys in, in Rye, I'm the only one in Rise Against that doesn't have kids. And I see, you know, it's hard. I see how hard it is on them. And I see, you know, how optimum, the optimal thing is to be at home with the kids. You yeah. Know what I mean? For sure. Um but yeah, I just, you know, I grew up around people that, you know, from an early age, everyone knew kind of what they wanted to do. Like, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. And I just wanted to play guitar, probably because of my dad. And that's all I set my sights on. And there was definitely rough times, you know what yeah. I mean? Where you're like, you know, you're getting into your 30s and you're just like, maybe I should figure something out. You know, just stay the course because you don't really have anything else to do or, or that you're good at for sure. You know. So you 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 played. You had Hagfish and Only Crime. Was your brother in both of those bands with you as well? My brother was. Okay, your brother's so name's brother, Donnie, correct? Donnie, yeah. And so the idea when we were kids was to play together forever and. That's a romantic thought, and it's amazing. And I wish, to this day, I wish that was still the case. Um, we just, we're brothers. You know, we have a vernacular, this unspoken thing. And we're only 19 months apart, so we're we're just really, really close. We're not like other siblings where they just do that thing where they don't get along. And we started Hackfish together, and Hackfish had a level of success and started doing pretty well, and out of high school and touring the world and got, this was in the early nineties. So, or mid nineties. So everyone wanted a green day, every label, every major label wanted a green day. So the major labels were descending on small towns and bigger, you know, they wanted that. And they just, there was London records and London records thought Hackfish would be green, their version of green day. Cause you know, we, we, it wasn't off really off mark. We were trying to be the descendants, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and we had no one knew who the fuck we were. We had one guy in Los Angeles had gotten, we had put a record out in Dallas, like a local label had put our record out. Somehow it made it to this one guy out in Dallas who was a manager. And he decided to start shopping it around for us. He asked us if it was okay. And he did. And, you know, we really wanted to just do like Fat Rack or Epitaph or whoever yeah. else. But, we also had no connections. We didn't know anyone. And we had been touring pretty solidly through the Midwest for the last, the, a couple of years. So we were a touring act. We were, we just weren't going to the coasts, you know? And, yeah. um, so anyway, he, he got London records involved and they signed our band, which was crazy. And 
at the time, Bill and Stefan had just opened the Blasting Room. So we were maybe the, I used to say we were the first record there. We, I think we were the second official record to record with them because we had been opening for them ever since we had met them when we were children. I mean, I met them when I was 16. This is now I'm like 20, you know. I wanted to get into that because, uh, as you know, your good friend Stefan Edgerton was on the show last week. And I, mean, I, so I know great. you guys are tight, so I, I'd like to hear about that that relationship with the Descendants a little bit. Well, you know, it it started from us completely punishing them and fanboying and, you know, hey, Billy, you want a bonus cup? You know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> all the, like, annoying things. I was 16, you know, and I'm meeting my heroes. Yeah. Like every kid at that age, their music speaks to that that kid that is disenfranchised it feels like he's the only one there no girls like him he's a fucking weirdo you know and my brother and i were obsessed with fart humor and you know boner comedies and all that shit yeah and we it just it just spoke to us the way somebody would explain the way bob dylan speaks to them the descendants spoke to us and so much so that we decided to just like let's just completely rip them off and make a band. <laughs> I don't know if Hackery sounded like them to everybody else, but to us, we're like, let's do the Descendants thing here. And th- they started. We met them. We thought we got on their nerves. They ended up staying with our drummer. We had a drummer at the time in Dallas. They ended up staying there because their van, their bus. They had a school bus at the time. It had totally broken down. And our drummer was this kid that was just a genius. And he helped them fix their truck. So they, they remembered that about us. So the next time they were like, hey, you guys want to open for us when we come back through? And we were, I mean, dude, it, this might have been us, you know, opening for Van Halen at like Madison yeah. Square Garden. But we were so, oh my God. <laughs> and that's kind of how we formed the friendship. I was 16, 17 years old. And so then we just started, we kept at it. We kept getting better. We kept writing better songs. We got a drummer involved, a guy named Tony Barsotti. This was, we went through a bunch of lineups. And they loved this kid to this day just he was their favorite drummer and i really think that helped us a lot with them so we we ended up getting signed to london records you know because we got signed up in the green day swoop you know everybody wanted the fucking green day i think it was like you know goldfinger got signed and everybody you know that's all those bands got signed to major labels at that point it's funny that you're saying that because i had charlie from goldfinger on a couple weeks back and we were having the same conversation like that post nirvana like right when green day hit and everybody was going crazy Exactly, exactly. And so, and I think they thought we, we might have been like a ska kind of thing too because we wore suits for whatever reason. Okay. But we, we, there was no element of that in our band at all, at all, at all. Um, and so our first thing to do with the major label money was like, well, let's go record with Bill and stuff and they just opened the studio. I don't think the label wanted us to do that because they, they didn't really know nor care who the descendants are all, but all – all had actually signed to a major label as well. They signed to Interscope. And they, with their money, they had opened their studio. So we recorded there, and that just started, we were already tied with them, but that just started this, like, real deal family relationship that continues absolutely to this day. It's, It's almost like my career has completely satellited around them. I did Guar, which had nothing to do with them, but everything else. So it's like Hackfish, Only Crime, and then Rise, I joined Rise Against and met those guys and all that. I know we're jumping ahead here because Only Crime had toured with Rise Against. And Bill 
role was recording Rise Against Records. So it was just this seamless, we've been watching that guy play, we like the way he plays, Bill vouches for him. And it just there was no audition. It was just like you're you're in our band now. You know what I mean? So it you was, didn't you didn't know Tim and, and Joe and all those guys? I knew them because Hagfish's second record, going back, the major label record, we did one record, a record called Rock Chalet Mass with Bill and Stefan. It did nothing. It didn't sell anything. We toured our asses off with everyone from Bad Brains, No Effects. We toured with everybody. And then went out and got the recognition from all the labels and people that we were trying to get from the first place, you know. So Fat Mike ended up putting out our second record. We also did that with Bill and Stefan. And um, there was a band on that. It was Honest Dons. Remember when Fat Records did Yeah, I remember that, yeah. So they had signed us, and they signed a band called the Teen Idols. Oh, I remember the Teen Idols from Nashville. Yes, yes. And Teen Idols guitar player's name was Phil. And Philip filled in for Rise Against for a while. I remember that. Exactly. And so they came through Dallas, and because we were label mates and they were our boys, we'd already done some things with them, Hackfish had. Phil just text, called me. He wasn't text me. I was, he couldn't text back then. He called me and was like, hey, I'm filling in for that band Rise Against. They're that new band on Fat. I mean, they were brand new on Fat. And we, fat at that point, they used to send you all the records when they would put them out, and I, I really liked it. I thought, wow, this sounds really different for this for Fat. Rack. You're talking about the unraveling, that first one with Dan. The unraveling. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. They came through. They played Dallas. I went out to hang out and talk to Phil, and I met those guys then. So I met them on the unraveling, but and just acquaintance, like, hey, dude, what's going on? Well, then cut to like 2005. And they were already starting to do pretty well. Like the, they were touring the Siren Song of the Counterculture record. Yeah. And that had Swing Life Away. They were doing well. And uh, that's where we really, we toured, the only crime tour with them. And Bill had produced uh, Revolutions Per Minute at that point. So it was all in the family at that point. And I got to be really close with them on that tour. That's so, awesome. yeah. And so after that tour, Things weren't working out with their guitar player, and so they decided. And I was the first. There was just like, seriously, hey, would you want to be in our band? And at the time, I was in Only Crime. Only Crime had just re- recorded our second record, and we're leaving to start touring that record. Was only was had- only Crime like a very active band though? Because wasn't Russ from Good Riddance the singer? Yeah, and Aaron from Bane was the guitar player. It wasn't very active. It was. For not very active, we still kind of toured a lot. Like, yeah. you know, we went to Europe a few times, went to Japan. We did a few states things. Um, it was at the time, Bill was really busy with the studio. So it was really whenever he could get away. And for him, it was really to get away from the studio. He was sick of telling punk bands how to play their instruments. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he just, he was just getting, his ears were getting burned out. And he wanted to play drums again. Yeah. And he wanted to just play drums. He didn't want to be the guy that called all the shots and yeah. wrote all the songs. He just wanted to like play aggressive drums and, and it was awesome. It was fucking awesome. Bill's still one of my best, not only is he my mentor, like my big brother, he's still one of my best friends. Well, and he's, he's you one know? of the most, I think underrated drummers in the world. I think he's one of the best drummers. He doesn't get the accolades Absolutely. that some other drummers get. And I think he deserves it. Yeah. And I, I think you're right. And 
So we just had a great fucking time. We've developed a vernacular of inside jokes and potty humor and just, you know, shit over the fucking years. And so it was it was just so much fun. And I got to play with my brother. Um, but so that was in like 2005 where I only come tour with Rise. And I joined. So it, was, it wasn't it was two years later. I joined pretty much in January of 2007. What were you so doing? Joined, at, what were you doing at the time? Were you playing in bands, or were you working a job? I was doing. I was just doing only crime and working whatever day job I could when I was home. I had moved to Austin by that point, and there weren't a lot of jobs to be had in Austin. I was printing T-shirts. I was doing some construction. Only crime was touring like a part-time band, so every. I, I had a tour to look forward to within every few months. Okay. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but everyone, I was definitely putting out like, you know, looking into my options because Bill understood, you know, Aaron would come back home with only crime and then go right out with Bane or Bill would, or Russ would do something with, with, with uh, good riddance. And I was just coming home and trying to find some fucking way to make money. Yeah. And so when Rise happened, it was kind of like, this is what you're doing. This is it. And Bill really did understand. And Bill was excited because, you know, we've developed a working relationship beyond a friendship that works really, really well. And, I mean, God, that guy's more or less trained me, you know, since I was a kid to what to do and what not to do with every aspect of the, my career, you know, from the business end of it to actually how to play and do things the right way. And Bill's a ridiculously good guitar player as well. And, you know, um, yeah, so it just kind of worked out on all levels. And it, and it was a really serendipitous, awesome thing, you know. So your your first record that you appeared on with Rise Against was Appeal to Reason in 2008, which actually, mm-hmm. like, peaked at number three on Billboard. What's that feeling got to be like where you go from – playing once in a while and only crime, maybe having some, you know, some success on a certain scale, but then being in a band whose record actually is number three on billboard, that's got to be kind of a crazy extreme. Yeah, it was a lot, you know? Um, and you know, for me, my, my career up until then had been these just mountaintops and valleys, you know, like Actress was successful and toured with a lot of bands and then nothing. And then Guar was Guar. Yeah. And you know, already successful when I got in the band and touring in a bus and flying and doing all this shit. And then I quit that. I chose to quit that because of extenuating circumstances. And then nothing. And then only crime. And I just, all these things. And then that was this huge peak. You know, I'd never, anything of that sort of commercial success I'd never been a part of. Yeah. And so it was really a lot to take in. And, you know, you got to think, like I said, I joined in January of 2007 halfway through touring for sufferer and the witness this was the next year yeah you know so um the band was already doing really well you just had to take it in stride you know what i mean and keep your head down and kind of do the job at, at hand which was get back in that bus show up at the next gig and play as well as you can and just you know rinse and repeat um which has felt like that for the last almost 12 years now, you know? Yeah. That's crazy. I actually, I, I, I know the guys. Okay. I haven't seen him in a long time. I used to, uh, my first band I ever had was this 
little punk band called Chronic Chaos. And uh, I was friends with Dan, the old guitars, the original guitars. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he produced my band's first two full lengths at his studio in Chicago. And on their first ever shows, like after they signed to Fat, they came and opened up for my band at this theater in Indiana. It was amazing. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I was like, you guys, we played on a wrestling ring. I actually, the, I've talked to oh, Tim about really it. Bad. Tim talked in like Rolling Stone about his, wor- his worst show ever was on a wrestling ring. And I'm like, dude, that was the show that I booked yeah. for you guys. <laughs> I think he, I've actually heard a story about that. Uh, he's told me about that too, like the wrestling ring show. Well, I mean, imagine that's, imagine that's trying to play a show on a trampoline. That's pretty much well, what it exactly, is. Exactly, exactly. It's got to be the, the worst. Uh, but yeah, man, it's just been that little engine that could, you know, it's kind of, and you know, I mean, rock music, anything with a guitar right now, it's definitely taking sort of a, a sidestep. Yeah. Shall we say? Um, that feels pretty permanent, you know, and um, not that I'm complaining. I think anything definitely has its time and then it kind of goes the way of the Buffalo, not the way of the Buffalo, but, I think it's 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 hard out there for bands with guitars. You know, it is. Yeah, we're still doing well. Don't get me wrong, but well, I've noticed that you guys you guys tend to some of the bigger festivals that I've seen that you guys have played, like in Europe. A lot of the lineups seem to be a lot of metal bands. Do you guys fit in well with those bands? I wouldn't. I don't know if it's well, but you know, as well as as well I do. Like Europe doesn't have. Europe has this 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 very broad taste. It's not like. In Europe, you, at least with the fans, for me, the same people that go to see dance shows and raves, they're going to metal shows and they're going to punk shows. It's not like I'm into metal and that's it. So I it does seem a little bit more open in Europe. Like the times that I've does. been over there, it's you would play a show with maybe a band that you wouldn't play with in the States, you know? Sure. Well, and you also see this convergence of because it's almost like bands with guitars are just playing together nowadays, whether it's a band yeah. like us with a metal band or whatever. It's just, there's so it's, it's the, the, the nature of the things is kind of killing bands off because it's really hard for a band to get it started. You know, bands now are asking me, how do they get going? I'm like, well, look, the way I did it was put my shit in storage, what little shit I had and got in a van and left yeah. and didn't come home. Until you start seeing people show up at shows. I don't know if that's the way it works anymore. Well, I've told people that too. Like I have these students that I have at my rock and roll summer camp, which actually they're doing two rise against songs. So uh, maybe, maybe I'll get you to do a shout out or something later for the kids. But, um, I tell them all the time. They're like, you know, how did you get going when you were young? I said, well, before I started touring, when I was really young, we booked our own shows at like halls and like community buildings. And then when I was on the road, we slept in the van and we ate ramen noodles. And I mean, you just, you sleep on floors. Like, I don't think that exists anymore. I don't. Yeah. I don't know if that's the way you do it. I know it's the way I did it, but I don't, you know, nowadays I see that we're playing festivals and I sound like such an old fart talking about this, but like, (laughs) You know, you see, because of, like, say, 21 Pilots or whatever, you're seeing bands that are two guys up there. You know, one guy is playing some inorganic instrument that's programmed, and another guy might have a bass, and more power to him. I think, look, that's what punk rock did. It smashed the, the, the current system. It, you know, it, things need to reinvent themselves right on. I mean, yeah. things need to to change you know i i heard a thing somebody saying the other day that like the spotify and the Bandcamp rappers and stuff like that's the new punk rock and i i i agree with that statement definitely you know 
They're doing things out of their fucking room on GarageBand, and they're putting it up with no label involvement, and they're making a career out of that. And I think that's fucking amazing. I mean, look at look at Chance the Rapper. He won Grammys and like sold millions and millions, and he he wasn't even signed. I mean, that's insane. Exactly. He cut out the fucking greedy corporate bullshit of the you know, and this is coming from a guy that's on a major label. He cut out the middleman in the most effective way that I think anyone's ever done it because all of the the good DIY punk bands did that, of course. But he, this guy actually won Grammys and did yeah. it, you know. So it's it's a real interesting way to do things and so i'm all fucking all for it i just also happen to be a guy that makes a career playing music and always has and it's just it keeps guys like me on our toes and it should it absolutely should um you just got to kind of think of a new way to do things you know before and i've said this a bunch i feel like records you you tour to sell the record and now i believe the record is the flyer for your tour yeah definitely i mean how you know, do you, how do you feel about i mean i don't know if you you guys might be doing this i'm not i'm not sure but a lot of bands nowadays are doing all the vip packages and you pay pay more money and you can do a meet and greet we don't do those. how do you do those. i, I kind of think i mean i know you've got to make money you've got to survive and i hope i'm not like offending anybody listening but i almost feel like you're kind of whoring yourself out a little bit. Yeah, we're not going to, I'm not going to fucking be a part of that shit. I mean, look, if you do that, that's like you said, the more power to you. There is the money is different nowadays yeah. out there. It is. Records are not a, a thing that are being, that's being sold anymore. Uh, this is, you know, uh, the labels aren't suffering. Yeah. You know, labels are still making money. Bands are making even less than they were before. Um, the royalties and the, the, the payouts from Spotify and things like that or a pittance. It's just, you know, I'm not going to complain about it because that's just the way things are. It's just yeah. the way things have always been. It's always fucking changing. Nothing's going to change. The people that are in power well, are going to stay in power. And It's up to guys like me just to keep plugging away and figuring out how to do it. But that's a thing I don't – we don't do. I don't think we would ever do. Um we do meet and greets where come fucking up and take a picture with us. If you want a picture with our ugly faces, <laughs> then fucking more power to you. Like go for it, you know, but I ain't going to charge you for that shit because it's not, it's not worth anything. Um, I mean, I do so, give it up to like the bands that are still trying to have the careers and they're, they're pushing the boundaries and they're doing anything they can to keep the, the ship upright. I mean, I don't want anybody right. to think that I'm, I'm being mean or anything. No, I just, neither. it's just not our thing, but however you make a living is however you make a living. And it is rough out there. And if this is, you know, this whole thing, has caused people that were in retirement to come out of retirement to have to go back on tour because they were making money off of their catalog. Yeah, It's just like any job. You work 25, 30 years, you retire, you built up money that's going to pay you for the rest of your life because you know you saved money out of your check. And people, that's really how it's worked so far. They put out records that have gone out into the and sold, you know, and you're making those royalties for the rest of your life. And at one point you go, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to retire. Well, records don't sell anymore. So there's nothing out there making the money. So they go, well, fuck, I need to go back on tour again. And that's been happening at an alarming rate. A lot of bands have been doing those like reunion tours, which is fine. I mean, you just, shit, this is what you want to do. <laughs> this is how it is. You know, this is how you make money now. I would like um, to ask you uh, the one thing that is selling and it blows my mind every time I see it in the charts on average, every week, the Black Album sells 5,000 copies. 
who I mean, who is buying the black album in 2018? It's the starter. It's the starter kit, though, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like there are those bands. If every teenage generation, you know, it's 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 pretty fucking amazing. If you get into metal, and it used to be, it was Master of Puppets, and then it was Justice for All. Yeah, and then it's the Black Album. Black Album is just stuck. Nobody's going to buy Saint Anger. You know what I mean? Yeah, nobody. But, <laughs> but you know. It's the starter kit. It's every 14-year-old boy going, I want to listen to metal. Yeah. Okay, Metallica is the band you start with. I'm going to buy the Black Album. I mean, fuck. You know, it's like the Eagles' greatest hits for our generation, or the not our generation, you know what I mean? But yeah, for like yeah. this generation. Because in our generation, if you wanted to get into like classic rock, you bought the Eagles' greatest hits. That's why it's the greatest selling record of all time. Oh, yeah. You know? It is. It beat out fucking Thriller recently. Um, you just, it's the starter kit. And it's, it, look, we just, you and me just talked about how we got into Metallica and that got us into our whole thing. It's still happening. It's yeah. still the start. It's still the starter kit, which I think is fucking unbelievable. Well, I, I want to yeah. give a shout out to one of my, one of my students, his name is Dawson. He's a big pop punk fan. And he was telling me how much he loved Blink-182. And I said, well, have you ever heard of the Descendants? And he's like, No. And uh, he went and saw them. I think he went and saw them. If, if he didn't go and see them, he, he actually likes them now, though. He checked all their stuff out. And one of his bands at my Rock and Roll Summer Camp is doing Hope. They're doing the Hope oh, by the Center. Rad. So it's, it's cool to see. I don't know. I also think of myself as kind of a mentor because these kids will come in to me and they'll be like, oh, I love Five Finger Death Punch. And I'm like, well, let me show you some bands you'll probably like that are way better. <laughs> right. Like what what that band probably listens to, you know, and and. Yeah, that's. I think that's just awesome. There's a school of rock here that some of my cl- a lot of people in Austin work at, which is a great. It's just such a great program, and I've done a few things for them, and you know, like clinics and things like that, and played with the kids. And I think I'm doing something in January with them. Um, I just great. think all of that is so amazing, especially when you know the kid has a kid has a choice right now. You go to Guitar Center or wherever, you can either buy a guitar, which is going to take some real practice and some real patience and some real dedication. And in this this day and age, again, I sound like an old farm. <laughs> with everything taking your attention, everything is flashing at you saying, yeah. "Please fucking pay attention to me." And instantly grat- gratifying. You know, a video game, VR, anything. Instantly grab. <clears throat> you know how to do it immediately. And you have this machine at the same place that you can start making songs tonight. You don't even have to read the fucking owner's manual. You plug it in, you press power, you can pretty much figure it out. And you can write a song tonight and record it on GarageBand. Or you can buy a guitar and in three months, you know. You can maybe play something. <laughs> right. Unless you're a complete natural, maybe you can be, you can do something. I get it. I was that kid. I was that OCD, ADD, uh, you know, fucking hyper manic kid. And it was impossible sometimes. I wanted to give up so many fucking times. Um, it's still hard. You know, it's still, I'm, what am I saying? I mean, fuck, I'm still learning every day. And, you know, I get that choice a kid has to make. So these programs like yours and School Rock, I think that's make the, the nobility of it is, is even greater because we're actually getting kids and having and doing numbers and having kids come and, and take the time to learn how to do this thing, you know? I just always feel like when I was young, it, it, I was – I was a pretty good go-getter. I had a lot of passion for music, and if I couldn't do it, I would just figure it out. And I think the internet and everything makes things so 
right at your fingertips that a lot of that that's kind of gone so these kids i try to you know hey you can do your own shows you can do this you can do that i try to show them how to do how to produce a show we, we teach how to run the board we teach everything so yeah well and then there's the, the other thing of like i mean shit there's also the kid that goes well wait a minute this dude has a career and he plays that weird pad thing yeah he writes all of his songs with that pad thing that i can buy for 200 bucks all his and he's huge. His career is fucking. I'm gonna do that. I'm like, dude, I get it, kid. You know, like more power to you. Fuck it. You know, I, I don't want to learn all this other shit. I just want to do that. I'm like, fucking go ahead. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, more power to him. But anyway, it just makes you know your work and 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 everybody. I just you know, it's it's so much greater. I mean, there needs to be both. I yeah, guess. yeah. You know what I mean? I definitely identify with the one kid a little bit more. You know, because. Shit, but given the options now, I don't know what I would have done. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, when I was young, it was just you get a guitar because you like Metallica or you like sure. no effects or whatever, you know? And that was it. That yeah. was it. You fucking do that, you know? <laughs> So, yeah. Okay. Well, let's, uh, we'll get back on track a little bit here. Uh, I did want to ask you how it was, uh, you did some big festivals and you also were the supporting act for the Foo Fighters back in 2011. How did that go? We toured with them in the States and we did Australia with them. So 11, 2011 was in the States. Yeah. And then we went to Australia with them just a few years ago, actually. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing because, you know, this is the world's largest rock and roll band, I would say, right now. And some of the best guys in the world, too. Some of the best guys in the world. And seeing how that ship works and is ran, because it's still very much ran like the way we all do things. Yeah. You know, the vernacular, the, the language. And one thing that's pretty remarkable about that band is they set up a practice room every day, like Metallica do. And they practice all day just because they love doing it. I mean, they play, they have a list of classic rock cover songs that they go through from Rod Stewart to Led Zeppelin to The Who. And they just play all day, all day. That's awesome. Up until their road manager has to come in every day and go, guys, we have to go on stage. Wow. And so they're great every night because they're fucking warmed up. But... I've known Chris Shiflett, their guitar player, since No Use for a Name days. Oh, yeah. So he's, he used to be, for anybody that doesn't know, he used to be in No Use for a Name, that were on Fat Rack. And Hagfish met them forever ago. I met him at the bottom of the hill in San Francisco. And, you know, we were both kids. Uh, so I was so happy for him when he got the gig. It was fucking unbelievable, you know, that one of us was getting to go do this. And then, you know, once we toured with them, I didn't really, I'd never met Dave Grohl. But once we did, it melts away really quick that it's it's fucking Dave Grohl. This guy was in our generation's Beatles. Yeah, yeah. And he is the nicest, most down-to-earth, humble, amazing dude. He's just the guy you want to be around and hang out with. You know I, what I mean? I met him one time, actually, in Austin, and he he couldn't have been a better guy. Like, I was so freaked yeah. out because it's Dave Grohl, and you're right. Like, five minutes after meeting him, it's just you're talking to a guy about it, punk rock. Which is exactly what I did. He found out I was in Guar and flipped out and <laughs> awesome. you know, wanted to just talk to me about that and what that was like because he knew those guys because he's from – uh, Virginia as yeah, well. Yeah. And uh, so he knew those guys from back in the day and he knew when he was at Scream. And he just wants to geek out and talk about music. You know, and same with me. He he loves classic rock and he loves punk rock and he loves metal. So we have every time him and I are around, we just talk. And then 
one day we just we were in Australia with him. Uh, Joe, our bass player, was like, "You need to come play a scream song with us." And oh, he was like, "That's immediately, awesome!" He was like, "Sure." Uh, guitar or drums and we're like drums and he goes cool and Joe goes came without warning which is a scream song he was great let's go practice and we went into his room and practiced Niner Threat Bad Brains and scream songs all day with him on drums and he came out with us that night and played fucking screams came without warning with wow. us it was amazing yeah it was amazing it's on it's on YouTube it's it's as soon as I get just, off the phone I'm gonna go check that out oh and he just kills it he just kills it it's just him playing super fast punk rock drums it was just amazing well and he's another um, guy that gives props to Bill because it's like Bill's like his favorite drummer for sure he for sure does and still promotes you know I saw that I just recently saw that play thing he did which is if you watch it it's a video it's a 23 minute long oh it's song it's, that he it's does. awesome it's great it's amazing, and he's promoting a school like what you do in like School of Rock, what we were talking about, where kids go after after school and they, you know, play guitar and they play drums, they play rock and roll music. Um, he still he uses his powers for good, not evil. Yeah, you know, yeah. simply put, and he has a lot of power. And I just, you know, a better role model and a better figure in this this crazy business. There, I don't think there's there's a rival. Um, and just yeah, what a fucking nice guy, man. And he's helped shit he took our band on tour twice you know which is amazing, amazing. How, how was the reception i mean I, you guys have quite a name anyway you could probably sell out a lot of those places anyway but how was the reception from their fans well, for you guys there's we do okay but not not foo fighters okay you yeah, know we yeah. realized quick we still had a lot of work to do when we went out there and you're opening for the foo fighters they don't give a shit and they you'll play <laughs> Well, you know, for us, it's like we have a, a popular song called Savior. It's like the song people yeah. know of ours. We'll play that, and you'll see some head bobbing, singing along. Like, they know that one. They don't know anything else. Yeah. Nor do they give a shit. And so we were like, whoa, we still have a lot of work to do. You know, and that was <laughs> that was great. You know, just, you know, we're, we're a band that tries to stay pretty humble, but we realized, like, wow, we really need to stay humble. <laughs> we, still, we still have a whole lot to do. So, um, Well, it's good to that, hear that a band of Rise Against Size, you guys are humble and you guys realize that there's still work that needs to be done. So I think oh that, that's God, a breath yeah. of fresh air, man. Oh, my God, yes. And, I mean, I don't know if the, the, the sort of infrastructure is set up to where a band can get a rock and roll band such as ourselves could get as big as Foo Fighters at this point. We'll see trends. You never know what's going to happen, and, and everything is cyclical. But it's definitely an aspiration, and it's something to, to keep trying for, you know, for sure. That's awesome. So you guys, uh, in 2010, you covered Sliver by Nirvana. Did, uh, did you tell Dave that, or had he heard that or anything? No, I don't think it ever came up. I mean, honestly, man, you know, we might have at some point. I don't tend to, when I have been around him, I don't ever want to bring that up because I never yeah. know. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I, I, I totally that, get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. At one point, um, we it was we were out with them, and it happened to be the 20th anniversary, maybe the 25th anniversary of Nevermind. I think it was the 20th anniversary. And uh, he had Chris, Chris Novoselic out on tour to come up and play a few songs with him. And so we're sitting at catering that day, and Chris Novoselic wanders over, and he sits at our table, and he's just minding his own business and eating. I'm like, this is cool. And then Pat Smear comes over. and then <laughs> You Dave guys are eating over. with the surviving members of Nirvana. No, dude, uh, Pat and then Dave. 
That's amazing. They, start, they started talking about old times and stuff, and it was really amazing. It's one of those things that happens on tour where you're like, wow, we are really lucky. This oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it really was cool. But I, you know, I never know where. And he's such a nice, great guy. And I know he's such a nice, great guy. He'd probably take it totally in stride. And it wouldn't be weird at all. But I also, because he's so nice, I wouldn't want to put it upon him to go, hey, let's talk about Nirvana, you know, and let's talk about this possibly touchy situation that yeah. you know there's emotions hanging off of um i wouldn't want to put him in that position i tend to be a person that's very bad with my boundaries when it comes to somebody that has questions and wants to ask and i'll talk about things that i'm uncomfortable about. present present party excluded trust me <laughs> yeah. but but where hey this is just a human being they want to know this thing and who am i yeah and then i'll kind of open up this sort of pandora's box of emotions and i'm talking <laughs> about things i'm like oh god you know uh so i because i'm that way it's pretty much i'm projecting on somebody else and i wouldn't want to do it but that's that's just me cool so uh one thing i did want to ask you about uh wolves that came out last year your new record um yeah. how was the recording process you guys went back to the blasting room with bill and jason right no, we did Wolves with a guy named Chris, uh, Nick Rasculinix. Oh, okay. Who went natural. And Nick had worked with Foo Fighters, actually. He had worked on a couple of the records. I believe he worked on One by One. I believe he worked on In Your Honor. Uh, I could be getting those wrong. But he's worked on some Deftones records. He's worked on a, some Rush records. He's wow. just, yeah, he's like one of the the remaining sort of real rock and roll producers. And it was at the time, Bill, you know, the descendants were going back full force. They were very busy. Um, and for us, it kind of felt like, Oh, let's, we've made four records in a row. Try something Bill. new, right? Yeah. Well, the band had made four records in a row with Bill. I had made three, uh, Peel reason end game black market. And it was time to try something else out, but also the scheduling just didn't work. And it was great. It was a great experience. I think we, we made a great record out of it. But I do think, you know, here recently this year, we went back to Bill and did this new acoustic record that's out. Yeah, that was what I was thinking of. I think the Ghost Note Symphonies, right? Or Ghost yeah, Note Symphonies. Yeah. We did go back and and that was just, man, it's just going home. Yeah, you know? yeah. It, it's felt like, for me now, a 23-year recording like working relation recording relationship but shit i mean 27 year friendship wow so it's just going back to this like it feels like one continuous record every back every all the way back to hackfish's first album i just feel like i'm going in and i'm just adding to the same record you know what i mean yeah so <laughs> yeah so i uh, i do you know i i would uh, intimate at this point that we will be going back for our next record which is as of yet unplanned unwritten <laughs> we're just trying to get through this tour first you know can you tell me a little bit about ghost note symphonies i know it's like you guys kind of reimagined some older songs and you you did some yeah. different instrumentation and whatnot can you tell me a little bit about that well it started as just an idea just like let's go record a few songs acoustically to sort of amend the Wolves album, because, you know, they do repressings of records and stuff. So yeah. we thought it'd be kind of interesting to do some older songs, maybe some songs that are on Wolves, do them acoustically. And then once we got in there, it was so fun to kind of reimagine things with different instrumentation, different versions that we decided to, like, well, let's keep going. And we ended up with 10. And so then it was just about kind of trying to talk the label into, hey, can we put out a full length with this? And they were into it. And so, yeah, yeah, it seems to be doing it's. You know, it's fun, and hopefully, you know, at some point we can maybe do some shows around it. That's cool, man. I, I have a, 
I have kind of a weird question. This is something I've, I've always kind of wondered about the band uh, with the, the amount of popularity that the band has gained and you guys are definitely your hard edge. You still got that punk edge, but I mean, there's kids that I know that listen to Godsmack that love you guys. So I, I mean, like, is it, is it weird for you to go to these shows and maybe you're used to like back in the day, there would just be all the punk kids there, but now it's kind of like a, a broader range of people. I mean, is it, is it kind of different because you where the band came from? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're all of the age to where, yeah, you, you sort of aligned your thing, yourself to your thing back then. You know, you had your, you know, you even had your genres of punk. There were like kids that were into ska punk and, you know, we were into like the SST and cruise records thing only, you know? Yeah. Um, and again, I just think it's it's more characteristic of where their music is right now as a culture to where you just are into what you're into. And because of the internet and everything be so readily available, um, it's almost like I'm into loud things. <laughs> you know, if it's yeah. got a guitar and it's loud, I'm into it. So I think it's a great thing. I do think it's an amazing thing. And for some reason, our band has act- has managed to be able to get on shows with more metal bands than, than not, you know, or, or take metal bands on tour with us or pop bands or whatever the case may be. We're just lucky. I, we somehow happened into that, that situation. The band started as very fast sort of hardcore punk band and has since morphed into, you know, we still have that sound about us, but there's, there's other things we've gotten into other things. And so that's kind of served us well with, but different different crowds, varied crowds in certain places that I feel real fortunate and lucky to be able to to have, you know. Is there has there been any uh I mean I guess at this point it doesn't really matter. I wouldn't care. You probably don't. Has there been any like pushback or any like from the older fans because of some of the oh, sure. the there new is, stuff's you know, a little bit more, you know, like friendlier, you know what I mean? Uh yeah, but there's nothing you can say about that. It's like yeah. look, nobody was in that room with us writing those records. That's all 100% us. And so it's just you get four guys in a room and they've all been listening to different types of music over the last few years. Whatever comes out, whatever comes out, and you're still your band and I I relate it I relate it back to Metallica like I do with almost everything. Oh, yeah. People got so uh, mad at all of that stuff and cutting their hair, but they put out an album every 6 years. I mean, think about the changes you go through personally exactly. in 6 you years. Can't, quantify that and i guarantee the band that's wondering well i wonder what the fans are going to like they're going to end up they're not going to last at all right they're going to do a disservice to the fans first and foremost so we've never done that and as much as anybody any snarky fucking fan wants to think well you know it's corporate bullshit and label you know man i've been in that room you know for this many this many years now it's it's what us four are deciding and so you know, you just try to make yourself happy first, and then hopefully, because you've done that the whole time, and you tend to have a career, and people come out to the show, you just trust that they're going to like it as well. Well, dude, that that's I that's a wonderful answer, and I totally agree with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I won't take up a lot more of your time. One thing that I do want to ask, I know we talked a lot about the Foo Fighters and how cool that was, but do you have some like crazy tour story or something that you always tell. I just, this is called that one time on tour. And I'd like to kind of pick your brain about maybe something that happened a long time ago, maybe nothing current, some kind of tour story that you've got. Um, yeah. So, so I was in Guar, um, which is in and of itself a whole other thing. And I still, (laughs) we haven't really talked about Guar. I love, you were Flatus Maximus, right? I was Flatus Maximus. Flatus. Okay. Um, um, and 
I still contribute to Guar. I'm still sort of an auxiliary member. You're kind of always in. And not their current record, but their last record, Battle Maximus, I wrote half of that, and I played guitar on half of that record, all the while doing Rise Against Touring, because the guy that had replaced me years ago, Corey Smoot, he had passed away. And I, you know, I just, it's like getting called back to the family home, you know, yeah. I got, I went back and I was happy and honored and more than willing to do it. Well, at one point, Dave Brocky, our singer, who has also passed away. Which I, is, I've met is, Dave, my, my old band. We actually played some Midwest dates with them back in the, the Dave Brocky experience, his other band yeah, he had. Yes. Yeah. And that is the world lost. Uh, Dave was a great he's, guy. He's a, he's a great guy. Yeah. And I miss him. I've been missing him I, I miss him constantly. I've been seeing him a lot lately, like a whole lot. But anyway, um, I loved him, and uh, he was also a character. And you know, when when I have had longer conversations with Dave Grohl, we've just talked about Dave Rocky. You know, if you knew him, he was a force. He was just always on. He was always yeah. hysterical. He was always loud. He was always a cartoon. He was just this <laughs> larger than life character. And one time, we were leaving to go to Europe. And Dave, I was walking in the airport and everyone was like, hey, did you check out what Brocky's doing? And I was like, and I looked at him and he's wearing black leather pants, a leather jacket. He had had, he had long hair at the time, but he had cut it into like a military style, like high and tight. Yeah. And he had sunglasses, like wraparound sunglasses, and he had like motorcycle boots. And he looked exactly like Arnold Schwarzenegger in The Terminator because Brocky <laughs> also had that kind of build and he sort of even looked like him. Yeah, yeah. And I went up to him and I was like, hey, hey you look like The Terminator. And he was also acting. He sort of robotically moved his head and it's like, there is no Dave. Like he was impersonating <laughs> The Terminator. This is only, you know. And so he's walking like a robot through the airport. And this was normal for Dave. Like he would just do crazy shit. And... So he kept it up and he did it for six weeks. Like straight? He never broke character? Like, he broke character when he was on stage as Odorous. But oh, okay. if he was off stage, he was back in all leather with the sunglasses, no matter where we were, and he was the Terminator. It's like Andy Kaufman esque a little bit. <laughs> it was fucking totally Andy Kaufman esque, dude. And at one point, I was just like, Man, Dave, I just want to talk to Dave. Like it's been like four weeks. He's just like, there is no Dave. Like still doing the thing. Like you gotta be shitting me right now. And it's third left. Like at the end of the tour, he was back to his Dave Rocking, just like same guy. That's yeah, that's he, awesome. <laughs> he was yeah, just shit like that, dude. There's so many Dave stories. There's so fucking many. Uh, we could we could be here for hours for sure. <laughs> well, I tell you what, man. I don't want to take up any more of your time. I would love at some point in the future, uh, maybe do a part two. You can tell me some more Dave Brocky stories and some yeah, more stuff about Rise man. Against. Just let me know. But um, I've had a blast talking to you, man. And uh, I think that my listeners are going to love this. And uh, awesome. thank you, thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I will talk to you in the future, man. Thank you so much. Have a, gr- have a great tour. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me. Thanks a lot. Yep, I'll talk to you soon, Zach. Thanks, man. All right, All right buddy. All right. And there it was, my conversation with Zach Blair from Rise Against. Uh, thank you guys so much for checking out this week's episode. It was a lot of fun to talk to Zach, and uh, hopefully we'll have him back for a part two in the near future. And uh, next week... 
it just keeps rolling, man. We've got an awesome show next week. I got to sit down with Jason Weeman Acuna from Jackass. Yes, that Wee Man. Uh, we talked about all kinds of crazy stuff, and he was a great, great guest. So you guys are going to enjoy that next week, uh, probably on Wednesday. I think I'm going to start releasing these on Wednesday. Tuesday is kind of tough for me, uh, but I have Tuesday off, so then I can do all of my editing and everything and then get it out Wednesday. So uh, that's going to do it for this week. I'm going to leave you guys with a couple Rise Against songs before I talk about that. I do want you to follow us on all social media platforms. Uh, our Instagram's kind of getting big right now, so check that out. I always put up all kinds of things. If you want to ask the future guests like questions, you know, make sure you're following us on Instagram. If you want to be a sponsor like uh, Swamp78 at the beginning of this episode, hit me up, tototpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, make sure that you subscribe, rate, and review in the iTunes store or wherever you listen to podcasts. Like I said earlier, we are on Stitcher now, uh, working on Spotify. So hope you guys are well. Uh, thanks for letting me into your life once again this week. I had a blast with Zach. Uh, the Wee Man episode is going to be great. And uh, coming up after that, we've got Nathan Gray from Boy Sets Fire, Jack O'Shea from Bayside. We, we've got all kinds of good guests coming up. So I cannot wait for you guys to hear those episodes. Keep coming back week in and week out and i'll be here delivering the content so thank you guys very much we'll see you next week i'm going to leave you with savior which is one of my favorite rise against songs and after that one of their new songs from ghost note symphonies i'm going it's the reimagined version of like the angel so thank you guys very much here it is rise against with savior and like the angel. See you next week. It kills me not to know this, but I've all but just forgotten what the color of her eyes were. And her scars or how she got them. Has the telling signs of age rain down a single tear is dropping through the valleys of an aging face that this world has forgotten.
Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.